In the past month, more than 10,000 people have been killed in Gaza, including 4,000 children, according to the Gazan Health Ministry. Dr. Mohammed Abu Mugasib of NGO Doctors Without Borders is one of the medics trying to save lives as the health system crumbles around him. Uh, the medical situation is really more than critical if we want to describe it. I mean, it's actually collapsing. Let's not forget using the word almost. It's already collapsing. Doctors have reportedly been forced to operate on patients in unsanitary conditions, sometimes without anaesthetic. Understandably, they want the war to end. A ceasefire is not enough to stop it. I mean, stop this uh, ongoing war. But the reality is that even a ceasefire seems far away. Well, there'll be no uh, ceasefire, general ceasefire in Gaza without the release of our hostages. And caught up in all of this are dozens of Irish citizens, like Ibrahim Alaga. Very difficult, very stressful, depressing Children are always asking for food or for water that we don't have. And now it is believed that one Irish citizen is being held hostage by Hamas. There is a high possibility, according to the Israeli Defence Forces, that eight-year-old Irish-Israeli girl Emily Hand, thought to have died in last month's Hamas massacre, is being held captive in Gaza. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Chapalak. Today the Irish citizens caught up in the horror of the Israel-Hamas war. Sarah Burns is a reporter with the Irish Times. Sarah, can you start by telling me who is Ibrahim Alaga and how did you make contact with him? So Ibrahim is an Irish-Palestinian man. Um, He had been living in Blanchardstown with his family, um, his wife Hamida and their their three children. And what ages are the kids? Eight, four and three. They visited Gaza uh, City back in June. It was sort of an extended holiday to see relatives. I have an apartment over there and I was living there. And um, unfortunately, we were forced to evacuate to the south. Even my apartment in Gaza was, was targeted. The whole building was just gone down. They went to, um, it's a city sort of to the south of the Gaza Strip um, called Han Yunus. They moved to there because that's where Abraham's parents are. He was in Gaza when you spoke to him and he was there. We could hear his children's voices in the background. But it's a horrific situation that they're in, he and his wife and his family. How are they coping? I mean, it's hard to actually comprehend what they're going through at the moment. Where I am right now, it's it's not safe. There's not a... A lot of bombings happening and uh, where it's severe shortage of food and water and power supply and even blankets, pillows. Uh, I mean, the it's, it's situation is extremely difficult. So there's 90 people, including yourselves, living in your father's farmhouse. Yes. And uh, are you like, is it sleeping on the floor, like um, sleeping by? Absolutely, exactly? everywhere, everywhere. Um, some of them family, mm. some of them are friends, and some neighbours that I had in the building as well. Yeah. And uh, is there enough supplies there for you at the moment in terms of food and water? Um, we have nearly nothing, close to nothing. We have no electricity. Uh, electricity, we only get it from, we have a solar system, uh, and we use that too for charging our phones turning on the router during the day. Uh, every day at around 9pm, the battery battery is gone and 
I lose the internet connection. Okay. And um, are, are you worried about what's going to happen when the food and the water is totally gone or if it does totally go? We're always worried. I mean, we, we're only, we're, we're trying to have a single meal a day. And our meals are extremely simple. We, I mean, just sometimes it's just plain bread. Mm. And maybe top it up with some biscuits later on in the day. So, something like this, you know. You're there with your wife, Hamida, and you have three young kids. Do they understand what's going on or, or how do they find it at the moment? Um, they don't understand what's going on, but they get really scared whenever they hear a bombing. Uh, we try to calm them down, try to tell them it's only fireworks, try to laugh with them once the explosion happens, just to, you know... Get them out of the bad mood. Um, it depends depends on how how big the explosion was. Yeah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But when there's no bombing, they're okay. They just play with other children. They don't understand what's going on. Yeah. We've been contacted by Ibrahim's neighbour here in Blanchardstown and she was saying that their local community in Dublin are extremely worried about him, his wife and his children. It's easy to forget, Sarah, isn't it, that this is a family that normally lives in Fingal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the three children were all born in Ireland. Um, Abraham has been living in Ireland for 15 years. Him and his wife are both Irish citizens. They'd very much set up life here. He was working as an electronic engineer. As you were saying, you know, his neighbour spoke about, I think she had children of a similar age and how the eldest son was a Liverpool fan. You know, so very much their roots are here. Um, but why they had gone back to Gaza, you know, they go back to Gaza or they had been for the last few years uh, for a few weeks at a time. Um, or for extended visits because they felt it was important for their children to kind of understand and see their other culture and, mm. uh, you know, meet their other family members and that kind of thing. I understand you lost, was it 11 family members have died in the war? That's, yes, that's um, during the first the first week of the war, yes. And were they cousins and uh, aunts and uncles, that kind um, of thing? It's a, no, it's a, a bit more extended, so... But the family I come from, it's it's kind of um, a well-connected family. So we all kind of know each other, all the cousins, and uh, we all live in the same area. It's like a tribe, you could say. So everyone knows each other, and every knows everyone knows how related everyone is to each other, you know. Ibrahim and his family obviously want to get out of Gaza as soon as possible. And to do that, they need permission from Israel to leave through the Rafah crossing to Egypt. Ibrahim was optimistic last week that he and his family would get out, right? Yeah, uh, so last week the Rafa border crossing into Egypt was opened uh, for foreign passport holders. Uh, so hundreds of people crossed over into Egypt last week, but there had, there was, there's had there been no Irish citizens or no Irish passport holders have been included on the list of evacuees. For four days... Every day there was a list going out with a list of nationalities. Mm. And every day they were saying, hopefully we get it next day or the following day. And during the four days, I mean, US, UK, nearly all European countries have been evacuated. Irish were left out. Then the border closed. So I think two days ago, the border just closed and lists stopped being published. 
he's saying those powerful nations or those Western countries, their citizens have all been able to flee. So what happens to us now? Like their influence is gone or they don't really care about this situation now. No one is in a position now to put the pressure to try and open the border. What does Ibrahim think himself about the reasoning behind Ireland not getting out yet when other larger countries have been able to get their citizens out? Well, he was saying this is the big question that he wants, like the answer that he wants to know uh, is why hasn't Irish citizens been included on these lists to date? Uh, we don't really know, to be honest. Um, you know, there was questions at the weekend to the Taunish to Micheál Martin, who's also, also our Minister for Foreign Affairs, about whether the Irish government's stance um, on Israel and Palestine had been hindering, you know, efforts to get Irish citizens out. And he was saying there was no evidence to back this up at all. But he did say it was a fact that Irish citizens haven't been on the list so far. I saw one report here that was kind of looking at maybe some of the strong comments that have come out from government uh, condemning Israel and their actions, and maybe that was one of the reasons, potentially, or yes. possibly, that could have been influenced. That could have, yes, that could have been the reason. Mm. But as I said, I was asking the questions of how come... I, did, I, I didn't get an answer, but, but neither from the Department of Foreign Affairs or from journalists. I don't know. I don't know really what, why that happened. Really, we don't know why they haven't. Um, I mean, the Irish government has condemned the Hamas attack a month ago. They said Israel has the right to defend itself. But equally, uh, you know, they have called for a ceasefire. And Taoiseach Leo Varadkar had quite strong comments last week saying that, you know, some of Israel's actions in Gaza weren't self-defence and resembled something more like revenge. Um, He also said that Israel wouldn't necessarily view Ireland as an ally or a friend in the same way that it would, you know, the UK, Germany, the US. You spoke to Ibrahim and we've heard about his family, but there are dozens of other Irish people still in Gaza. Do we know anything about them? Do we know how many there are and how they're doing? Yeah, so there's about 35 to 40 um, Irish citizens in Gaza currently. The Department of Foreign Affairs has said they're in daily you know, contact with them and providing them updates. Um, Abraham himself said that the department was checking in, usually by text uh, or call, about, like, usually daily, like once a day, to see how he was getting on and just saying that they're making every effort to get them out. Um, the Department of Foreign Affairs also said that they had given the list of all the Irish citizens who wanted to get out of Gaza to the to the relevant authorities um, and added that there had been no evacuations of foreign nationals over the weekend. Are you in any way hopeful that, that, or could you see yourself being able to get out of Gaza? I don't think it would happen. As I said, all people that do have influence don't have any interest now of, on, you know, putting pressure. Coming up, I speak to Mark Vise about Emily Hunt the young Irish girl believed dead, but who now could be alive in Gaza. Mark Weiss reports from Israel for the Irish Times. Mark, it's been one month since Hamas launched its brutal attack on Israel, which killed around 1,400 people and resulted in the kidnapping of over 200 others. We spoke to you in the aftermath when Israel was shocked and determined to hit back hard, which it has. It's now, a month later, Israel is at war and it has support from the United States, the United Kingdom and others. But many other governments, including Ireland, are calling for a ceasefire due to the mounting numbers of casualties in Gaza and the humanitarian situation unfolding there. The Israeli government has said 
no ceasefire until hostages are released. Mark, what is the mood like within Israel on the ground? Is there support for this ceasefire? No, not at all. Um, The country, despite uh, Israel being a very divided country politically, the country is very united at this juncture behind the military campaign. Uh, The atrocities on uh, October the 7th um, seared this country like nothing else in the modern era. And the country is determined uh, almost unanimously that Hamas has to be destroyed. And therefore, it just wouldn't make sense at this stage of the campaign to uh, agree to a ceasefire. It would be akin to the Allies uh, um, being asked to uh, agree to a ceasefire a few days after the Normandy invasion. That's, that's the feeling here. The feeling is that we've got to get the job done and it must continue until Hamas is destroyed. There have been demonstrations around the world by people who believe that Israel is going too far and who are calling for an immediate ceasefire to save the lives of thousands of innocent civilians in Gaza. From the point of view of an Israeli man or woman on the street who, as you've said, supports the continuation of the war, what is it that these protesters just don't get? I think the response of the average average Israeli would be Did you not see what happened on October the 7th, the atrocities that took place there, the mass murder, the the bloodlust, basically, and the horrific um, incidents that were repeated again and again throughout southern Israel? And then they would ask, you know, what would your country do if you had suffered that? Because uh, for the average Israelis, this has to end and it has to end now and it has to end permanently. There is... Uh, no way that the residents of those kibbutzim and those border villages and towns can go back uh, to their communities once the war is over if the military threat from Hamas over the border uh, is still in existence. And when Israelis see um, these hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating all over the world, that's the questions they would ask them did you not? Do you not know what happened? And what would you do if this happened to your country? But won't we reach a point where a lasting peace is unlikely to be brought about by violence and a peace process is ultimately what is needed? Is it not time now to talk about that? It's very difficult to talk about any kind of peace process with an organisation uh, um, like, like uh, Hamas, which is in its very charter is dedicated to... Uh, wiping Israel uh, off the map and throwing all the Jews into the sea. They consider all of Israel um, is holy Islamic land. And you can't really reach a compromise with an organization like that in the same way you couldn't really reach a compromise with ISIS because there's nothing to talk about. Um, maybe there will be, in the broader terms, eventually, probably not, but maybe some kind of solution to the overall conflict with more moderate Palestinian parties, but certainly with Hamas, there's basically nothing to talk about. One of the things that I think is is prompting people to take to the streets uh, outside of Israel is the images of children that are doing the rounds in Palestine. What do people in Israel say in response to that imagery that's coming out of Gaza? It's a tragedy. It's a human tragedy. No one can deny it. No one in Israel uh, gains any pleasure at all from seeing these terrible images and even from a PR perspective, it's not good for Israel, but um, it's almost inevitable. And I said this in the last uh, podcast discussion that 
given the fact that this is going to be a brutal war uh, until the end, and given the fact that Gaza is a very uh, densely populated area, and the fact that Hamas does have its uh, forces and command centers and its tunnels under hospitals and under schools and uh, under clinics, then um, it's almost inevitable, the terrible phrase of collateral damage, it's almost inevitable. And that's why, uh, amongst other things, Israel from the very start urged as me- urged all the residents where the main fighting is taking place to flee for their own safety. As you say, Israel's stated goal is to completely destroy Hamas. Is there any indication of how much success the Israeli Defence Forces have had in doing that so far? In contrast to uh, previous rounds of uh, confrontation between Israel and militant groups in Gaza, this time uh, the army are providing very few details of the progress of the military campaign. What we do know is that the northern Gaza Strip uh, has been sealed off from the rest of the Gaza Strip. That's basically Gaza City, the, the largest city in the Strip, and the surrounding towns and refugee camps such as Jabalia, Beit Hanun. Um, the Gaza City itself, which is the epicenter of the Hamas regime, both militarily and uh, the civilian structure, uh, has been sealed off from all sides, and the Israeli forces are moving in to the centre of the city from the north and the south. Uh, they've already uh, taken the entire coastal strip around the city, which is the Shati refugee camp, that area, and they're moving towards the epicentre, taking out uh, Hamas control centres, control and command centres, and uh, Hamas infrastructures, wherever they find them, and with an emphasis, of course, on uh, destroying as many entrances to the tunnel network as they can. It was reported on Tuesday, which is now at the time of recording, that Israel is considering, quote, tactical little pauses in the Gaza fighting to allow humanitarian aid into the country and to get the more than 200 hostages held by Hamas out of the country. Mark, is that likely to happen? And uh, what would it look like, do you think? Well, it is happening. I mean, today there was... uh um, a humanitarian pause, if you like, or a lull in the fighting. But it's very localised and it's very um, concentrated in time. So, for instance, there would be, uh, Israel would tell the residents that we'll, there will be no fighting for a couple of hours on the main route leading south, uh, because, as you know, Israel has uh, urged all the residents of northern Gaza Strip to, for their own safety, to uh, evacuate that area. That's where the fierce the most fierce fighting is taking place. So today, for instance, again, they, they, there was a, on, on the main road there heading south, the Israeli forces guarded that with tanks to allow any residents who want to leave to do so. Moving on to the Irish connection, there is one Irish citizen who we believe is in Gaza and is in grave danger. She is eight-year-old Irish-Israeli girl Emily Hand, an Irish citizen who was thought to be a captive of Hamas. A few weeks ago, you spoke to Emily's father, Tom Hand, and he thought at the time that she had died tragically. Why did he think that? And how has it now turned out that she may in fact be alive? Yes, this is an absolutely remarkable turnaround And it's a tragedy within a tragedy, um, depending on how you look at it. Because um, when I spoke to Thomas, and he'd already been interviewed on CNN at this stage, Mm. he was informed by members of the kibbutz that he lived on that Emily had in fact been killed uh, when Hamas militants invaded on that Saturday. Okay. Um, And he assumed that to be a fact. 
Um, he didn't specifically ask to see any evidence or anything. He, he, he presumed that the people telling him knew what they were talking about. Um, and as you know, uh, he said this was the best alternative he could think of because the last thing he wanted was for Emily to be held a hostage in Gaza. Uh, and he was beginning the long process of finding closure on this tragic event. And then, five, six days ago now, he was contacted again by the Israeli authorities and told that uh, there had been a case of mistaken identity and they have information uh, to, to indicate that it is highly likely that Emily is in fact a hostage in Gaza at the moment, together with the, uh, her girlfriend she was sleeping over with and the girlfriend's mother, all in Gaza, we presume. Mm. Uh, there is no indication if she's uh, still alive uh, or the condition or anything, but we, the, according to the Israeli authorities, she is still alive in Gaza and being held hostage, a remarkable event. And now Thomas uh, has no choice but to change his tune, and he's now fighting together with the family to raise consciousness as much as possible, both here in Israel and in Ireland, for the authorities, both in Israel and Ireland, to do everything they can uh, to bring his daughter home. Hamas has released four hostages so far. Is there any indication that they may be willing to release more people? And do you think Emily Han's Irish citizenship could have a bearing on whether she might be released? Difficult to say. Um, there have been contacts ongoing contacts all the time to bring about some kind of prisoner swap. Now, we don't know if this is the comprehensive prisoner swap that Israel would like, and that would mean freeing all the hostages, all 240, in return for all the security prisoners held in Israeli jails. That would be the ideal situation, mm. although that itself is very painful for Israel, releasing a lot of people who have taken part in, uh, including the people who took part that are still alive in in, in the attack on, on October the 7th. Or it could be some kind of mm. um, smaller deal involving maybe uh, maybe some of the foreign hostages or the, or the hostages that have dual nationality. We simply don't know because, uh, for obvious reasons, the negotiators and the mediators we believe, uh, particularly Qatar and Egypt, are keeping tight-lipped in the hope that uh, secrecy will help bring about a deal. But as we know publicly at the moment, there is no indication that we are close to such a hostage uh, deal. Now, the, the, um, the belief of the Israeli leadership is that the more Hamas feels pressured, then the more likely they are to agree to some kind of deal. Or Hamas may... Uh, refuse any kind of deal. It's a very tricky situation. There's, it's not entirely clear how much influence Qatar has over the uh, Hamas leadership in exile, and it's not entirely clear how much the Hamas leadership in exile has on the Hamas leadership in Gaza. So it's extremely complicated. Mark, we've been talking here in the Irish Times about uh, some of the other Irish citizens within Gaza, but who are not hostages, who are caught in Gaza and trying to leave, who so far have not been allowed to. At the weekend, Tánis de Michal Martin denied that Irish citizens were being treated any differently due to their Irish nationality. He said there was no evidence for this. But does the fact that he was even asked that question just show how strained Irish-Israeli relations have become over Ireland's support for a ceasefire in Gaza. Is there any sense of that in Israel? Ireland is considered amongst Israel, Israelis and I think the Israeli leadership as well as the most pro-Palestinian um, member of the EU. 
I don't know, and it's not entirely clear on what grounds uh, these lists being drawn up are. Um, who gets who gets priority? And it's certainly. I mean, remember, Israel is not uh, controlling the the crossing between uh, Rafah, the Rafah crossing between Gaza and Egypt. Uh, it's not entirely clear how those lists are drawn up and who. Um, who decides finally each day how many are going out and who gets priority. Uh, the main thing for Israel, the priority for Israel, is to ensure that none of the Hamas militants are sneaking out uh, via the crossing to safety. Uh, the, the distribution of the foreigners and who gets priority is less, less interest uh, for Israel. At the weekend, an Israeli minister, Amichai Eliyahu, said Palestinians should, quote, go to Ireland or the deserts. He also said that dropping a nuclear bomb on Gaza is an option. Now, he has since been suspended from the Israeli government. But how widespread are such attitudes in Israel? Well, as we mentioned earlier, Ireland is perceived by a lot of Israelis as being anti-Israel, pro-Palestinian. And I think that's where uh, his choice of Ireland comes from, although, of course, there are many countries in the world that are a lot more uh, anti-Israel uh, than Ireland. Look, he is a member of uh, the most uh, the most extreme right-wing party within the coalition, um, a, a fringe party, basically, mm. that not many people take seriously. They have very, uh, you could call wacko views on a lot of subjects. I mean, the very uh, concept of dro- dropping a nuclear bomb on the Gaza Strip is just absolute utter nonsense mm. because apart from anything else, it would wipe out half of Israel. Um, but um, he said he was speaking, he, he defended his remarks by saying he was speaking metaphorically. Um, and by the way, Prime Minister Netanyahu didn't really dismiss him from the cabinet because um, on the very same night he claimed to have done that, uh, the, minister, the said minister took part in a, in a cabinet vote. So it was, uh, it was the prime minister basically uh, pretending to fire him. He, he, the prime minister, Netanyahu, cannot fire him because he is very, he, he's worried more than anything else about his own political survival. And the last thing he wants to do is upset any of his coalition parties, particularly now where there's a rising mood in Israel, uh, urge, urging that... Uh, the Prime Minister immediately after the war will have to resign because of the fiasco on October the 7th. Meanwhile, there are serious tensions continuing on the northern border with Lebanon. What can you tell us about what's happening in that part of Israel, not far from where we have Irish posts, Irish soldiers posted? It's basically a game of chicken between the Israeli military and the powerful Shia um, militia Hezbollah, which of course is 100% backed by Iran. Um, now, you must remember that Hezbollah is something like 10 times more powerful than Hamas in terms of uh, military capabilities. It's basically a, a powerful army as opposed to a militia. They have 150,000 rockets, some of them precision rockets, um, po- lo- ready to launch against Israel. So if it kicks off on the northern border, we're in a totally different situation here. Um, Israel has boosted its troops along the entire border. Uh, Hezbollah is firing every day projectiles or anti-tank missiles along the northern border. Israel responds every time. Uh, it's a very tense situation. And if uh, it escalates into something more serious, it could also 
drag in Iran. And we know that you know that the U.S. US uh, forces have been boosted throughout the Middle East. It's very tense. And uh, let's hope that it doesn't uh, escalate any further. That's all for today. For more reporting on the war in Gaza, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Sarah Chapalik. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Friday.